This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmayer, and welcome to Episode 12 of Keep the Faith, my weekly podcast in which we explore contemporary issues through the prism of Jewish law and tradition. In the wake of the killing of George Floyd, there's a growing chorus demanding that we defund the police. Defund the police, in fact, has become the main rallying cry at the huge number of protest rallies across the United States. But it goes beyond that. In a recent interview with NPR, one activist for justice reform argued that unless the presumptive Democratic nominee, former Vice President Joe Biden, makes defund the police his mantra, he'll risk losing the support of the protesters, black and white, come November 3rd. The aim of the defund the police campaign is one we should all support. The slogan that's used to promote that aim, though, is more likely to turn off more potential supporters than it will draw in. Our topic this week, therefore, is Words Can Kill. The word defund has only one meaning. It doesn't matter what dictionary you use, the meaning doesn't change, and there are no shades of gray alternates offered. Merriam-Webster defines defund as to withdraw funding from. Cambridge English Dictionary defines it as to stop providing the money to pay for something. And the new Oxford American Dictionary defines it as to prevent from continuing to receive funds. All three dictionaries use different words, but they all say the same thing. To defund something is to take away the money from that something. So the slogan, defund the police, in the unequivocal definition of defund, means to take the money, all the money, away from the police. That's another way of saying, let's get rid of the police altogether. That's what it means, and that's what many people will take it to mean, but that's not what the defund the police campaign means by that slogan. Its goal is not to shut down police departments. It means creating community-responsive policing by reducing police budgets and putting the money saved into augmenting the budgets for education, housing, youth services, and public health programs, especially mental health. Proponents say that such a community-responsive approach is a better way to fight crime because it targets the kinds of problems that breed crime. Poverty, for example, homelessness, mental illness. The kinds of problems police departments are forced to deal with on a daily basis that they are woefully ill-equipped to handle. I'm not saying that. Police themselves say it, and I for one agree with it. Here's what then-Dallas Police Chief David Brown had to say in a 2016 interview. Quote, every societal failure, we put it off for the cops to solve. That's too much to ask. Policing was never meant to solve all those problems, unquote. Brown, by the way, was appointed in April to be superintendent of the Chicago Police Department, and he's vowed to put his words into practice. Making better use of some of the money that currently goes into policing is what defund the police means. But that's not what some of its supporters want it to mean, and it certainly is not what most people think it means when they hear that word defund. Defund means stop the money altogether, not take some money away and use it more wisely. A better name for the campaign would be reform the police or perhaps rethink policing, but certainly not defund the police. And that brings us to Jewish law. 
Halakha, Jewish law, requires us to be very careful with the words we use. Words can kill, according to the Bible and according to the sages of the Talmudic era and the many halakhic authorities who came after them. In the Bible, we call it the Tanakh, we find this verse in Proverbs, for example. Death and life are in the tongue's power, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Robert Alter, professor of Hebrew and comparative literature at the University of California at Berkeley, and himself a translator of the Bible, explains that verse this way, quote, A cultivated person delights in language and takes pleasure in its apt use, and this exercise of well-considered expression will redound to his profit, unquote. Then there's a verse in Psalms that reads, What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done for you, you deceitful tongue? In the Talmud, the renowned Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai explained this verse from Psalms this way, quote, The Holy One, blessed be He, said to the tongue, All the other limbs of a person are upright, but you are lying horizontally. All the other limbs of a person are external, but you are internal, and moreover, I have surrounded you with two walls, one of bone, meaning the teeth, and one of flesh, meaning the lips. What shall be given to you, tongue, and what more shall be done for you to prevent you from speaking in a deceitful manner? Unquote. It's said about Rabbi Yochanan, by the way, that he never passed anyone on a street, Jew or non-Jew, friend or stranger, without greeting that person even before he or she greeted him. Regarding the quote I just read about not speaking in a deceitful manner, he let it be known that he didn't originate that teaching. He learned it from another sage, Rabbi Yossi ben Zimra by name. In any case, the Tanakh, the Bible, was written in Hebrew and was later translated into what was then the language of the street, Aramaic. Biblical translators often are commentators as well, in that they tend to put their own spins on a verse they're translating. In Genesis 2.7 we're told, quote, and the Lord God formed Ha'adam, the first human, from the dust of the Adama, from the dust of the earth. God blew into his nostrils the soul of life, and the human became a living being, unquote. Now, here's how the most prominent Aramaic translator, Uncleus, he was a Roman convert to Judaism, and his translations appear side by side with the Hebrew text in many printed versions of the Torah, and so are considered authoritative. Here's how he translated that verse. Quote, and the Lord God created the human out of dust from the earth and breathed into his nostrils the soul of life, and it became in the first human a spirit uttering speech, unquote. In other words, according to Uncleus, the fact that God blew the soul into our nostrils means that with every word we speak, we exhale the breath of God that's within us, and so we must choose our words wisely. Proverbs puts it this way, for the Lord grants wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and discernment. And the words of Job, but truly it is the spirit in men, the breath of God, that gives them understanding. Finally, we have this from Rashi, the great commentator of a millennium ago, quote, by blowing the soul of life into our nostrils, God was blowing into the human, Dea the Dibur, understanding and speech, unquote. All these quotes say the same thing. God gave us the gift of his breath, meaning our soul. So the words we use must be chosen wisely, because to speak means to expel some of God's breath. To misspeak, or worse, to speak words that can cause harm, is to abuse God's gift.
Words can kill. In this case, the use of the word defund is likely to turn off the very people we need to reform our policing, namely the politicians. Jewish law has a whole library full of laws regarding what is known as Lashon Hara, bad speech, Lashon Hara in Yiddish, although perhaps evil speech is a better translation. Too many people fail to understand the kinds of things that can result from the highly inflammatory rhetoric that now passes for political discourse in this country and defund the police and warnings such as that to Joe Biden that he'd better get on board or else qualify as highly inflammatory rhetoric. Let's take a quick look back at our own Jewish history. A climate of hate in 1995 followed in the wake of Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin's efforts to achieve peace with the Palestinians and their leader at the time, Yasser Arafat. Posters on walls throughout Israel accused him of being an enemy agent and even pictured him in Arab dress. Politicians on the right accused him of being a traitor who was determined to destroy the Jewish state. On the highest end of the bad speech scale, a group of rabbis labeled Rabin a rodef, a word meaning a pursuer, a term in Jewish law that identifies someone who is actively intending to commit murder. Under Jewish law, an actual rodef must be stopped by any means possible, including by himself being murdered before he could commit his own crime. Rabin was assassinated. By his own admission, all of this bad speech contributed to his assassin's decision to kill him, just like the inflammatory rhetoric coming from the South that induced John Wilkes Booth to kill Abraham Lincoln. Our sages of blessed memory understood that words could kill in other ways as well. Says the Talmud, Lashon Hara, bad speech, kills three people, the one who spoke it, the one who listened to it, and the one who was the object of it. Not all bad speech needs to be overt, at least as Lashon Hara is defined by Jewish law, thus making it a lot easier to violate than avoid. Say there are five people in a room waiting for a crowd to gather for an event to begin, and a sixth person enters and says, Where is everyone? Not where is everyone else, but where is everyone? If just one of the others who hears that said feels insulted by it, what, we're not part of everyone? Even if he or she doesn't say so, just thinks it, that's an example of bad speech. That where-is-everyone remark is a kind of ordinary, everyday, common expression we all use at some point, said without thinking and without intending to hurt anyone. I don't know how many times I've said where's-everyone, but I have. And it really is hard to believe that so casual and even innocent a remark could cause anyone to feel hurt. But it can cause hurt. Rabbi Joseph Telushkin, in his The Book of Jewish Values, A Day-by-Day Guide to Ethical Living, offers us an example from a 19th century Jewish folktale of what bad speech does. It tells of a man who went about town bad-mouthing the town's rabbi. It's a long quote, so bear with me. Quote, One day, realizing that many of the things he had said were unfair, he went to the rabbi's house and begged for forgiveness. The rabbi told the man that he would forgive him on one condition, that he go home, take a feather pillow from his house, cut it up, and scatter the feathers to the wind. After he had done so, he should then return to the rabbi's house. Though puzzled by the rabbi's strange request, the man was happy to be let off with so easy a penance. He quickly cut up the pillow, scattered the feathers, and returned to the rabbi. Am I now forgiven? he asked. Just one more thing, the rabbi said. Go now and gather up all the feathers. But that's impossible. The wind has already scattered them. 
Precisely, the rabbi answered. And though you truly wish to correct the evil you have done, it is as impossible to repair the damage done by your words as it is to recover the feathers, unquote. Words can kill. They can kill people, and they can kill ideas. Words need to be chosen wisely. In the political sphere, they absolutely must be chosen wisely. Defund the police is bad speech, but it's out there, in the wind, like the feathers in that folktale. I'll end with another teaching from the Talmud. It has to do with Rabbi Judah the Prince, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, who was simply known as Rabbi. He was the head of the Land of Israel community around 1,800 years ago. Quote, Rabbi prepared a meal for his students. He brought before them tongue that was tender and tongue that was tough. They began choosing the tender tongue and setting aside the tough. He said to them, Take note of what you're doing. For just as you're choosing the tender tongue and setting aside the tough one, so should your own tongues be soft to one another. Unquote. To which I add, and to everyone and everything else. This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmeyer. I hope you come back for my next podcast, and I'd like to hear your thoughts about what I've said today and about any of my other podcasts. Go to www.shammai.org and email me, please. Shabbat Shalom. Stay healthy and stay safe.